When you see an asterisk, you know what to do. Flip to the back of the book or the bottom of the page and see what's missing. What has been taken out of the primary text? What piece of the story do you have to dig a little deeper to find and understand? In Joseph's story, there is one big asterisk, a whole chapter that, while not directly related to the fate of our hero, contains a soap opera-worthy plot and has far-reaching implications. There's this book I remember from the library of the church I grew up in, Bad Girls of the Bible. As a teenage girl, I was clearly the target audience. The cover art featured a Middle Eastern woman who had bright red nail polish, a fancy purple head covering, and she held up a piece of fabric over her mouth. Only her eyes were showing, with a glimmer of mischief and an eyebrow cocked towards the sky. I can't remember if I ever read the book. What I can remember is what that cover said to me. Look out. Be careful. There are women in the Bible who did things. Bad things. Unspeakable things. No men, though. One of these bad women, Tamar, finds her story placed somewhat surprisingly right in the middle of Joseph's story. Think of Tamar's story as a biblical spinoff. She's the Frasier to Joseph's cheers. But before we dive into the deceptive deeds of Tamar, we need to jump back a generation or two to trace the links between these two remarkable characters. I'm Sarah Stone, and this is Dream Big, a podcast by The Gathering. Joseph had 10 older brothers? Most of them are pretty unremarkable, but two stand out. Reuben, the oldest, is the one who speaks up when the rest of the brothers plan to kill Joseph. He's such a good older brother that he manages to negotiate Joseph's fate from certain death to the old throw him in a pit without food or water trick. Then there's Judah. I like to think of Judah as the entrepreneur of the family. While Joseph is chilling in the pit, Judah sees a business opportunity. There are traders passing by, and Judah realizes that not only can the brothers be rid of the bratty younger brother, but they can even make some money in the process. Just like that, Joseph goes from animal food to traveling slave. It is true that Judah saves the life of his brother, but it is also clear that Judah is really looking out for number one.
At the beginning of Genesis, chapter 38, we leave Joseph enslaved and shift our focus to the life and times of Judah's family. New tent, same drama. An undisclosed amount of time has passed, and we find Judah in a new city with a foreign wife and three sons who seem to be named quite carelessly. You'll see what I mean shortly. Judah's oldest son, Er, marries a woman named Tamar. The newlyweds barely have time for a honeymoon before Er drops dead. Scripture tells us that Er was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And if anyone was shocked by this development, they clearly weren't paying attention. His name is literally a play on the word evil. Thanks, Mom and Dad. What happens next might seem a little, well, icky to our 21st century ears, but it was actually the law of the time. Leveret marriage required a widow to be remarried to her late husband's brother or another close male relative. The primary purpose of this union was to produce a male heir who could keep the family line going. So, brother-in-law becomes husband, and Tamar is now the wife of Onan. Onan's name is related to sorrow, trouble, and wickedness, and our boy lives up to his name. You see, children conceived in a leveret marriage are credited to the dead husband. That means that any children Onan and Tamar produced would be considered heir's children, and Onan was not okay with this arrangement. Onan employs some, shall we say, creative birth control in his relationship with Tamar in order to make sure she does not get pregnant. We are told that God is displeased with Onan's creativity, and he drops dead too. At this point, Judah is starting to get suspicious about this Tamar woman. Is she poisoning my son's dinners? Is she a spy for someone who has a grudge against my family? Does she have some sort of curse upon her that makes her kill husbands? Whatever it is, Judah does not want to give Tamar his last son, Shelah, as a husband. So, he does what any reasonable father-in-law with legal obligation to his son's widow would do. He tries to trick her. Judah tells Tamar that he will give her his youngest son once Shelah has grown up. In the meantime, Tamar is sent back to her father's house. This is a good time to remind us all that women in this time were viewed as property. In marriage, Tamar was essentially sold to Judah's son. This transaction is primarily structured with the man's legacy in mind, but it does include certain obligations of the family on behalf of the woman. That being said, a widow returning to her family of origin is a cause of shame and puts a financial strain on a family who thought they were done taking care of her a long time ago. We don't know how long it takes her to realize the truth, but in time, Tamar realizes she's being played. If Judah was proud of his maneuvering out of an undesirable situation, he clearly has no idea who he was up against. This next part of the story is where Tamar reveals herself to be one of the smartest, most resourceful, and most courageous characters in the Bible. Because she is a woman, Tamar has limited options for reclaiming what is rightfully hers. Widows are considered some of the lowest members of society. They have lost the man who is supposed to provide for them and instead must depend upon men with their own wives and children. There is one type of woman, though, who does have a small sliver of power in this world. A prostitute. 
Sound crazy? I know, but stick with me here for a second. Prostitutes are forced to give up any hope for a respectable reputation. They don't get the security and occasional affection that marriages can provide. Their body is no longer their own, but rather an object used to please men. But prostitutes have one thing that can give them the upper hand with men. Prostitutes have sex. Tamar decides to take matters into her own hands. She will no longer allow herself to be passed from one man to the next. She will become an active and undercover agent in her own story. Tamar dresses up as a prostitute and places herself in the path of her father-in-law. Judah does not recognize his daughter-in-law and seeks her <laughs> services. Now, this is an important detail. Before Tamar provides her services, she arranges a little exchange. Judah will bring Tamar a sheep as payment. Until then, Tamar will keep Judah's signet ring, his cord, and his staff. In ancient times, these items are basically like leaving your driver's license as collateral. The two have sex. Tamar becomes pregnant. And when Judah returns to bring his payment, the prostitute he owes is nowhere to be found. About three months later, Judah is told that his daughter-in-law has, quote, played the whore. And the wording couldn't be better. Judah assumes that Tamar has gotten herself pregnant by way of a one-night stand or something equally sinful. He summons Tamar with plans to literally burn her. That escalated quickly. If you are a clever one like Tamar, you see where this is going. When Tamar is moments from staring death in the face, she sends the ring, cord, and staff to Judah. It was the owner of these who made me pregnant, Tamar says. Mic drop. This woman that no one wanted. You're really stuck with her now, Judah. And here's the truly unbelievable part. Judah admits he was wrong. You'll probably also be relieved to find out that the Judah and Tamar encounter was a one-time deal, and Judah respectfully returns to his proper role as father-in-law. So why is this twisted, weird, early soap opera included in the middle of Joseph's story? In Genesis, the book of origins. Well, this cast of characters is an offshoot of Abraham's family line. God promised Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars. They would become a great nation. This family would be the family that would go on to bless the entire world. This family includes Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, and Tamar. And this family line could have ended it if it were not for one brave woman taking on the role of dishonor for the good of the world. You want to know something else pretty amazing about Tamar? Tamar is one of just four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Let that sink in. Tamar the foreigner, the widow, the temporary prostitute. When we read the Bible, we often forget that the characters in these stories didn't know how things would end. Tamar had no guarantees. Judah's change of heart and sparing her life was not guaranteed. A healthy pregnancy was not guaranteed. A place in Messiah's line of descendants was not guaranteed. Ultimately, Tamar gives birth to twins. She is allowed to marry Shelah. 
Her sons provide a new generation to take the place of the sons and husbands that were lost. Tamar transformed the line of Judah in ways that will be felt for thousands of years. Tamar also transformed the man Judah in ways that will be seen in the conclusion of Joseph's story. That's next week.